0: Now, in documentary on News Talk, producer Jonathan Farrelly takes us on a trip back to Kilkenny in the 1980s, when one of the greatest dynasty teams in history began their famous streak of winning. In part two of a new radio documentary series, Dynasty, the greatest ladies' teams of all time. Sisters Anne and Angela Downey lead the way with nine medals each. While the only two newcomers to the senior stage are Gillian Dillon, who's 17 and a daughter of Pa Dillon, the ex-Kilkenny star, and 16-year-old full forward Bridget Mullally.
1: Now this series is called Dynasty, the Greatest Ladies Teams, and in the last episode we talked about the great Dublin Camogie team that won 19 All-Irelands in 20 years. And in this episode I wanted to talk about the Kilkenny team that won seven in a row in the 80s and 90s. Now, one of the many leading lights on that team was the great Anne Downey who, along with her sister Angela, are two of the greatest players to have ever played the game. So I chatted to Anne because I wanted to get an insight into how the sport shaped her life. So I went back to the very beginning.
2: Oh, look, I would say we were probably maybe five or six. Sure. We we came from a, a small village, the car might pass the the front door every half an hour so there wasn't an awful lot to do in in the village at the time only play sport or you know uh go to the woods for a walk or something like that so we were playing i suppose in the back garden there was five of us all together and we'd have a match with the neighbors maybe they'd come into the into the garden and we would have uh, maybe five against five and that was at a very young age I said we had to entertain ourselves some uh, some some way. Um, I would say my mother would have been strict my father probably wouldn't have been but we had we had a routine you know you got your breakfast and you were put out into the yard then and you didn't come in until you had your lunch we had our lunch at 12 o'clock then and uh, back out to the yard then you entertained yourself and you know unless you had a leg hanging off you weren't to come near the back door (laughs) that's the way it was so um I suppose that's really where it started from, and sure, obviously, Daddy had heard from for Kilkenny, so there was a bit of interest there uh, in the GAA, and we went to the matches as soon as we were allowed or if we were brought. And from a very early age, really, Jonathan, to be honest.
0: And it's Kilkenny, the raging hot favourite, remember, bidding for six in a row, playing from right to left in the first half. Here's Bridie McGarry, beaten, however, by Eileen Keogh of Wexford. Trying to set up the first attack, but also the first wide.
2: And we also had um, a neighbour down the road, and he'd come home from work in the evening, and he'd be out on on the road hitting uh, a sponge ball up against the gable end of his house. And once we'd hear that, clicker clacker going on down the road we'd be out onto the road ourselves and he'd be at his house and we'd be you know up the road at our house and we'd be hitting the ball up and down to one another so I suppose again look it was it was keeping ourselves busy and being involved in something really it was it wasn't for a long time I mean we were probably 12. 13 maybe before, well 12 I say before we, we eventually joined a team because there was no camogie teams um, in the village and there was no camogie team around you I mean St Paul's in the city was the nearest team and um, our first camogie game would have been um, my mother Lord of Mercy Honour and Matt Ruth's mother um, brought the school down to the Roaring Mystique and the, we were only in primary school and that was the first taste of competition that we got and now that only, we went down to them and they came up to us and that's when we were in primary school and then it all stopped until we, we joined St Paul's and we joined St Paul's because uh, Daddy had a business here in the village and uh, a man called Paddy Conway used to come up and give him a hand and his daughter was very involved with St Paul's and he had said to her look there's two young ones up there in Ballaragat you should get him to join St Paul's. So that's what happened. We joined very, very early and um, we played junior with St Paul's for a long time. But that was our first, I suppose, introduction to into camogie and we went to Castle Commer to secondary school and there was no camogie in it, I think, until maybe the second year that we were there. And uh, we played with presentation Castlecomer, Castle Commer and then my mother Lord law Mercy on her, decided that it was too much camogie, and not enough studying and we were shipped off to boarding school. So we continued playing camogie in, in Callan and we finished in Callan, in 75. We were beaten in uh, Colleges All-Ireland by a very good Galway team uh, after a replay. So, sure, it snowballed from there, to be quite honest. Angela went to Maynooth and she'll be still playing with Kilkenny and still playing with St Paul's.
0: Marty Fitzpatrick with the puck out. Gene O'Leary getting it only as far as Anne Downey. Claire Jones walloping it forward up into the corner towards Breda Cahill. That's Stella Sinnott coming out there for Wexford.
1: Now, continuing on from the last episode where Professor Paul Roos from UCD gave us an overall look at the history of Camogie, it became clear that Dublin, Cork and Antrim were the early dominating teams. So what happened then for Camogie to start spreading and for the smaller counties to start winning all Ireland's?
3: The long and the short the long and the short explanation for the spread of camogie and the growth of camogie to becoming more prosperous in, in counties beyond the ones who were dominated from the beginning, I mean, basically in rural areas, was a change slow, steady, but insistent in Irish society. <clears throat> but you must remember, Johnny, and I think this is really important, you know, it's like men walked on the moon before women played football in Crow Park. That's, it's 1973 in, and then into 74. 73 for the first inter county women's Gaelic football match. 74 for the founding of the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. Um, so that tells you. And by the way, at this stage, there's no national soccer team for women, there's no national rugby team for women, there's no rugby team played hardly at all for women in clubs by this stage. But the change in Irish society that's coming to a certain opening up that was the product of, you know, the late 50s and the early 60s as Irish society began to change. All of that is really important. Really important in creating the conditions by which it becomes acceptable for women to go play, number one. Number two, there's more women playing at schools and staying in schools, lumber, till they begin to play in schools, and then other women again true pri- pioneers, and men who've dedicated their lives to the construction of a, a network of camogie clubs and camogie competitions around the country. Like don't forget, it's the 1930s before there's a proper All Ireland All Ireland camogie competition. That tells you the struggle that took place to try and found camogie and to spread it, and even. Even, now look at the numbers here. In 1935, I think this is really interesting. In 1935, there was Camogie in every province, but there were only 420-odd teams affiliated to the association, about 10,000 players. There were five times as many men. And in that first All-Ireland Cup competition in 1935, it is true that 28 counties took place, or took part, or entered teams in them. But they were so limited, some of the counties, they were really only getting going, that, that they were kind of stuck. So it took time for them to get going again.
0: Good clearance under pressure. Again targeted towards Eileen Coe. Gillian Dillon for Kilkenny. Kilkenny who beat Wexford in this year's National League final. It reaches Angela Downey, very much the sharpshooter as always on this occasion, however, recording Kilkenny's first wide.
1: So now back to Anne, and considering all that Paul had just said, I was curious. Did Anne just play with a club, or did they also play in school?
2: We had the last two years in Castle Comber, but I didn't, I kind of was daddy's pet <laughs> and I put my foot down, I didn't want to go to boarding school so my sister Maria and Angela they went back to, they went off to boarding school uh, when the year started and I was left here with Mammy and Daddy and I was really I suppose missing Angela at the time and um, Principal Michael Hester in Castle Comer could see that I was actually probably struggling without her because It was a rat race here in the morning to get out get the breakfast and get out and get the bus and get to Comer uh, Row to get who's it first in the bathroom or whatever and suddenly I'm left on my own It was just Mam and dad and myself here and I, I was I was missing her so she um, came home from visiting Angela and Maria one Saturday and came in the door, and um, my older sister was with her all again. She says, "Oh, you're in for it now," and I just said, "Well, what am I after doing?" And Mammy just said, "No, you didn't do anything, Anne." But she said, "You're going back. You're going to, to boarding school with Angela at, at, uh, after Halloween." So that is she was in Callan I suppose a month or two before I was in it and sure when I went I never really looked back but I wasn't able to play camogie for the first year in Callan because I had started a competition with Presentation Castlecomer so I really only played probably the last year that I was there but there was always and Carl would have been a great um, camogie player that had played with Callan and she had a great interest in it so um, yeah missed out a year all right Um, Should have gone back, maybe, when Angela was gone, but sure. That didn't happen. I put the foot down and got my way for a while, for two months anyway.
1: (laughs) Now, Anne is famous for her drive and will to win, and I wondered, did she always have that hunger to win, even in school, or is it something that she picked up along the way?
2: We got to an All-Ireland, yeah, yeah, and actually the All-Ireland was played in, in, in Croke Park, and at the time, I'll tell you and I'll tell you my age, it was the double crossbar, and um, we, we had won, as we thought, on the day by a pint, and the referee had said that the ball went over the top crossbar, that it didn't go in between. So it went to extra time, and we were got we got well beaten in extra time. But to, I have to say it was one of my regrets that I didn't win the Colleges All Ireland because it was a great competition, and we had travelled all over Ireland. You know what I mean? In boarding school on a, on on a, on the Sunday, on a Friday morning, getting onto a bus and going the whole way to Kilkeel to play a uh, uh, Colleges All Ireland semi final. it was you couldn't make that up. You know, getting out of the school for the weekend. It was brilliant. And getting off for all the matches, you know. the one thing about Camogie you might miss an old class or two games, but could be on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, but yeah, that was a great, great game. Um, Mitch Ponyard, um, from Galway, I think she nearly beat us on her own the same day, you know.
0: Kavanaugh with the puck out for Wexford. Good lengthy delivery as well towards Jackie Cod and Downey. Missed by Claire Jones. Picked, however, by uh, the girl on the left hand side. Runs on decently towards Siobhan Dunn. A scoring chance. Siobhan Dunn has the distinction of scoring the opening point in this year's Camogie final.
1: Now, Anne and Angela's father, Shem, won an All-Ireland in 1947 with Kilkenny, and he was always very proud of his daughter's following in his footsteps early on. But what did the rest of the family think about it?
2: Well that was I suppose what was in uh, in my mother's mind at the time that we had to to knuckle down you know that there was just too much but like when we were in Callan we were in 74 sure Kilkenny were in the All-Ireland and we were in boarding school at the time and half day was a um, half day in the shop for daddy so he would get into the car make soup and sandwiches and pretend that he was going into county training but sure he used to drive on down to Callan and collect Angela and myself, bring us into town to train and and drop us back. And sure, Mammy didn't know a thing about it. I think it was years after, eventually, when we told her, uh, you know, what was going on or what went on, but, uh, or you come home with a, you could have a broken finger and, and, you know, Daddy would say, oh, don't tell her now you got that playing camogie, you know, (laughs) ah, stop, you know, or, You'd come home after losing the match, and sure, she'd be trying to. Oh, she's well off now out of that game, you know. I mean, you'd only be getting belts, you know, and you'd be saying, "Shut up, mother! We're after being beaten, and we're not happy," you know. But uh, ah, yeah, there were there were great days, you know. And I suppose for anyone trying to go to 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 change from primary school to a secondary school, you know, it's, it's a big change. And certainly was a big change for us and sport helped, you know, to, to bed into and to get away from home and be away from home, you know, it helped. You know, if you're lonely or, you know, and you're just thinking about you want to go home, um, you know, if you have to go out to train or if you know this is a game coming up, well that's something to distract you and it certainly helped me when I went to, to Callan first, you know.
1: Becoming more apparent, the Camogie was really spreading quickly in Kilkenny, and I was now very curious to know what was the club scene like at the time.
2: We were, yeah, we were always with St. Paul's until I think it was around. Um, you know, when Kilkenny won their first All Ireland in '74, the next thing teams started to start in par- parishes. You know. Bennis Bridge started up, Carrick Shock started up, uh, Bally Callen, Freshford, they all, you know, so, St. Paul's really had to disband because St. Paul's was made up of, of girls like ourselves from small parishes that had no team. So suddenly all the parishes had their own team, so St. Paul's disbanded, and Angela and myself went t- to play with Liz Downey. And Liz Downey is only a mile or two up the road from us here. So I think that was 1990 90 or 91, sometime around then. Um, so while we were in college and while we were working, St Paul's was our number one team, as I said, until we, until we moved to Lis yeah.
1: So as the club scene seemed to be spreading out and thriving, I was curious, what was the inter-county scene like at the same time?
2: Well, Angela was on the panel in. Angela was on the team in '72, believe it or not. Um, and they were beaten by Cork. Cork were um, a great team at the time. Um, she was only 15. And '74, Angela was on the team and I was a sub. That was the first year. And '74 ended up in a draw. Um, and we played Cork again. We were being beaten by a point and um, our goalkeeper popped the ball out and a, a, a player from Cork called Hannah Dineen, or Hannah Cotter, dropped her and she caught the ball in her two hands. So it was a free under the Hogan stand and um, Helene O'Neill pointed. So we got a second day out and we beat them on the second day and in 75, Angela and myself were doing our leaving cert and we went into our old Irish down in Callum and who was examining this only about Hannah Cotter, Hannah i And sure, yeah, she was teaching in Loreto Carlo at the time. And sure, we had a great chat. And I remember when our Leaving Cert results came out, my mother said to me, I'll tell you now, Nan, you'd never have got that Irish only for Hannah Cotter. <laughs> you know, and she was probably right because Camoqui was my number one. It wasn't studying or or books or anything like that. But, um, you know, it was a small world to think that we had beaten them in the All-Ireland the year before and there she was, you know, doing the all Irish the year after. But um, they are the great contacts that you make and sure, you know, we stayed in contact for a long time after that.
1: The inter-county team was obviously thriving too. And this was the start of something magical for Kilkenny Camogie. So I now really wanted to know, how did all this come together for that amazing team that won seven All-Irelands in a row in the 80s and 90s?
2: We were gone for a few years and we won in 81 and then didn't win again until 85. And we won from 85 to 91, which is seven years in a row. Tom Ryan had come in to train us then. But I suppose, look Kilkenny teams, we were blessed with I suppose the time. I would love to play a Camogie at this, at this in two thousand and 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 twenty one, but I don't know. Would we, would we have? You know, won as much. Our game was more physical because it was, it was twelve aside, but we had great players. You know, if someone retired, there was always someone that came onto the panel. Um, when we started off, um, playing, you know, there was the O'Shea sisters, Nuala and and uh, Nuala Duncan and. Carmen O'Shea and Phil O'Shea, and every time someone retired, someone came onto the panel that was equally as good. Biddy O'Sullivan, and when Biddy went, uh, Gillian Dillon. You know, right up until I suppose we finished playing in 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 '94, our last All Ireland in '94 that we won. Um, we were so lucky with the girls that that we had played, but like it was fairly, it was more physical when we played than it was uh, than it is now because the pitch was so small. I mean the the goalposts were on the 21-yard line, and it was fairly tight. There was no such things you you going on a on a on a solo run because you you know you were going to get lambasted, or and a lot of it was ground hurling, which they don't seem to do now. You know it's and and it wasn't this tactical thing. You know you played your position, you got the ball into the forwards. That was it. Try and put it into the best posi- position for a forward. Um. So those those were geez, they were great years, and I mean the celebrations and getting ready for an All-Iron, you think you know that it's never going to end. And sure, 75 was a complete disaster for us because we were winning the whole way up. And um, I remember Linda, Mel- Linda melrick made a run from the centre of the field and I actually fouled her. I pulled her down a few times, but the referee played advantage, which there was no advantage at the time. And um, Linda hit the ball, went into the back of the net, were beaten by a pint. So that was that was a hard day, you know. But look, I suppose when you're winning, you want to stay winning. But um, it's I suppose it's the losses that you you remember, you know. Eighty-six or 70, 70, 78, I think we played Limerick in a semi-final, and they got a goal that went through the side netting, and we were beaten again. So. You kind of, you know, you win and you're happy that you win, but it's the ones that you lose that you stick in your mind and stick in your craw that, you know, if you you know, if you know, only had to do this, if you only had to do that, but we had great years, you know, we can't complain, Angela and myself had, we were just so blessed, both with St. Paul's and with, with Liz Downey and with the county team, the girls that we got to play with, you know, they were super, super players.
0: You're listening to Dynasty, the greatest ladies' teams of all time, on Documentary on News Talk. Rita Holmes, she's having a very influential match so far. Catherine Murphy going back almost despairingly. It reaches Angela Downey, taken up with some difficulty, back to Anne. And Downey, slightly off balance, high. The umpire's consultant, it's gone over the bar. Four points to one, and Ann Downey has scored three of Kilkenny's tally.
2: Well, the the training was always hard, but you would have a great crack with Tom. Tom, Tom Ryan, our trainer, you know, on a wet night he'd be... He, you might be 12 against 12, maybe someone wasn't able to play, so Tom would, st- would step in, in, in his Wellingtons, and he'd be part of the other team trying to play against you, you know. Um, but we had a real character in Carvin Savage who was a, a selector with us. And you know yourself, we'd, on the morning of a match, or you'd go out to the ground in Manahide and you'd throw in your gear into your room and puck around in the, in the um, car park have something to eat, get back onto the bus and she. you're as nervous going into Crow Park but Carmel would take over the microphone and she'd absolutely just entertain you from the time that um, you'd leave the hotel and uh, Mam at the time, you know, when Daddy was a selector, you know, he'd be really nervous so she used to give him uh, something to calm him and um, She passed away in 86 and we were in the All-Ireland shirt in 87 and we were saying, well look who's going to give Daddy anything, so he's going to be a bag of nerves and he wasn't a a selector at the time but he was part of the travelling party that were going to Croke Park and we got to the um, hotel anyway and I don't know where the tablet came out of but anyway they gave him something so we got onto the bus to go into Croke Park and my father is talking gibberish He's slurring his words and where are we off to Carmel. And Carmel took to my Jesus and my father didn't drink, never drank a day in his life. Jesus Shem. You must have been at the bar like and for the whole way in she entertained us listening to him and sure when we got to Croke Park my older sister Olga had to meet him off the bus and bring him in sure. I think the first half was over before he realised he was even in Crow Park. So we said after that he can get a heart attack now if he likes. We're not giving him any more tablets, you know. Uh, but you, you know you have to have a character really on 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 in every team. Um, but Carmel certainly. And you get back to the hotel then and listen. It anything could happen, you know. I mean there were some of them were just mad. We'd we'd leave the hotel on a Monday and we'd have a few hours to put in in town and we go into O'Neill's I think at the, at the top of um Grafton Street or might have been up farther than that but into the pub there and sure a few of the women arrived in in their their pajamas wear their their leggings and that and their tops on them you know ready for to have a few pints and that and the be cards on the way down then on the bus and uh, you know we just made great friends to be honest and friends for life you know but great days and the crowd then coming back to the hotel after it was unheard of really for Komogi you know because all the men got the attention you know Kilkenny were so successful with the hurling and it was always about the men and suddenly you know that Kilkenny Komogi team were drawing the crowds and people were coming to our games and there was busloads leaving the villages and um, you know, as I said, the crowd's out to meet you. So every time you got that you wanted, you just wanted more of it. You know, you never wanted it to end. You looked forward to September. You could be in Nolan Park training. We always got Nolan Park before an All-Ireland semi-final or a final, and you could be in Nolan Park training the night that the hurlers were coming home on a Monday night, Our All-Ireland used to be the week after. So, you know, you'd hear the the horns going down the town for the guys and you being in Nolan Park wishing you know looking forward to Sunday coming and hoping that you were going to be in the same situation the following Monday night um, but you just you know you couldn't buy the friendship and the crack that we had it was just unbelievable and all harmless you know there was no such thing as obviously phones and no on video and you know just memories now that we have you know from from the the days and you have a sing song and she wouldn't have a note in your head or maybe it's would sing for the 20 years you were there you were singing the same song and they'd be saying to you could you not get a new song <laughs> could you not learn something else you know but um, just brilliant days yeah
1: so again hearing all the amazing stories from Anne, I was keen to hear more what was training like? How competitive were the team? Again, the who's, the whats, the whens, the wheres, the whys of Kilkenny's dynasty team.
2: Yeah, and you know, you know, while everyone would be disappointed that they wouldn't be starting. They also understood that the day about the day was about winning, you know, and in fairness to the selectors, if there was an opportunity, you know, and they weren't afraid to make the hard calls either because they certainly did along the way uh, make hard calls, you know, people were dropped or they might start a game and they had to be maybe after 20 minutes, someone else go in. But, you know, you'd be disappointed on the day for for yourself, but they got over that. And you know, once we got back to the hotel and the crack started, that was it was brilliant. And I don't know what year it was. Uh, one of the maybe 89, 88, 89 We played and played the All Ireland, and Angela wasn't really didn't feel well after it. So neither of us were were our drinkers. You know, we never took a drink when we were hurling, not because uh, we were hurling, we just we just didn't like drink. it Didn't do anything for us, but. She wasn't feeling well, and someone said to her, Look, Angela, have a, a brandy and port. So she was sipping a brandy and port, and someone saw her sipping this brandy and port, and then they bought her, bought another one for her. So she was sipping that, and then someone else bought her another one. So I think she had three, but sure, by the time she had the third one drank, she didn't know where she was, <laughs> what she was doing. And the next day we were we were going home and sure Angela was as sick as a pig, and um we were going home with the boss and Danny was saying, I'm Angela, is Angela not on the bus? So she had to go home in a car and we met her in Castle Cobourg. She got on. I said, Oh, Angela had to do, go back and do something for school or something like that. And no matter, excuse me, we, we gave him, but uh, she said never again. She never touched the brandy and, and port, I think, since you know. But uh, that was the goodwill of the people at the time. You know, they saw her having one drink and thought, Which are here, look, we'll buy her another one. But um, as I said, you know, the crack uh, was mighty and you know, memories
0: that uh, you couldn't buy. Well, it's been a very compelling last 10 minutes of this first half. and Downey with five points for Kilkenny. Siobhan Dunn with four for Wexford. A most interesting first half, setting up what we hope will be a most intriguing second. At half time, it's seven points to four.
2: Oh God, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about winning. I mean, I I can't get my head around someone that says, oh no, I enjoyed the day. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not a bit nervous. I'd love to be that person, but I was always nervous. You know, um, again, (sighs) I pitied my mother on a Saturday here in the house before we played in All Ireland, you know, because we'd be like a bag of cats and she'd know not to say anything or leave you to your own devices, you know, just. Waiting on the day, that Saturday before the All Ireland, or waiting to just go to bed and hoping that you were going to sleep, you know, I would absolutely be a nuts uh, until I got out of the pitch, you know, right up to the time. And again, that entertainment that with Carmen on the bus was so important to us, just to, to take our minds off it for the 20 minutes on the drive in from Malahide into Croke Park, you know, it was. Um, it was just such a relief because there wasn't headphones and we weren't tuned into this song or that song, you know, it was all of us together and just listening to Carmel. And uh, once you got out onto the pitch and got your your first wind and that and up and running then, yeah.
0: Mary Murphy then restarting the uh, second half. Straight away, it's Jackie Codd, broken up by Anne Downey for Kilkenny, who've shown a little bit more of a variation in their scoring pattern. Not solely dependent upon Anne Downey. And that's a good looking lob, well taken by Eilish Kavanagh. Do
2: you know, I, I always had it. Do you know, I just dreaded, I just dreaded losing. I'd just do anything to win. Do anything, I wouldn't. I remember one day playing in Dublin, I think, we were playing in a Leinster final and um, just pulling on the ball and a teammate of mine, Mary Canavan, put her her, her ankle in the way and it was the mercy of God I didn't break it, <laughs> which you know, just trying to win a ball and uh, just doing everything I could to win. And Angela was the same, but the whole team was the same, you know, it was just... Uh, one person didn't win the game on their own um just the collective, you know, we all had that just desire And as I said, once we got onto a role imagine just winning three in a row and sure then we said here goes We'll try for four in a row and four came to five and five came to six and six went to seven You know, it was, it was just unreal, but that was as I said going back to how blessed we were with the, the Players that came into the panel when someone left, you know when someone got married or um, weren't able to commit or moved to to Dublin or move someplace to work or we're nursing and couldn't get off, you know, we were just blessed with it with the girls that came on stream.
0: Catherine Murphy setting up Elsie Cody, Claire Jones and Downey sweeping it out to this right hand side.
2: Well, it was and I suppose, you know, you'd have to compliment the, the the Tom Ryan and his selectors because the selectors definitely changed over the few years that we were there um, but you know just trying to keep everyone happy but like when you have when you're coming on to a team that's successful like we were at the time you know and a new a new player coming on sure you know she, she just had to be at top of her game to stay with us you know if she wanted to be part of that winning set up that we had at the time and most girls did you know they just saw I suppose what we were getting out of Kamoke and they wanted it as well and if you didn't want it as much as the girls that were in there forget about it you weren't going to make it you know you had to show the selectors and and Tom you know that you were up for and that you were prepared to take a bit of hardship and if it meant that you had to change a shift to be at training you know and you were prepared to do that you know he was happy you know to have you there you know, and I, I, you know, and all the times that and the years that we played, um, I, I don't ever remember anyone leaving the panel because they were working to enjoy enjoying it. They left because, as I said, maybe they just, which was their time to leave, they were, you know, their age or they had been at it for so long or they got married or they moved up the country or something like that, but it was certainly and not a situation where someone came in and they were told to go home. That never happened, you know, because anyone that was there just wanted to be with us and wanted to be, you know, be part of that winning set-up.
0: In the 12th minute of this second half, with Kilkenny leading by nine points to four, and Danny with the sideline ball.
2: When we were playing Cork in a semi-final in Parky Ring, uh, I think it was probably 86 or 87 and it's a real tight and close pitch and they had a ferocious crowd at it supporting them and we were we were struggling they brought on Fiona Driscoll, I think at half time and you know I don't know how we got out of it the same day we were just we were just lucky you know I think Angela got a great goal the same day and saws over the line but that certainly was one that was kind of Fiona, uh, you know, standing up and making her entrance onto the onto the Camogie scene, and you know, broke her heart a few times after that. Um, was a great player, but certainly Cork in the semi final that year in Parky Ring, you know, when you go down to Cork and you have the big, the long journey, it's you probably make Cork in an hour and a half now. You wouldn't at that time, you know, you'd have to go through all the villages. You could be all day in the bus, um, and we didn't prepare like we did now you know when we were playing you threw your gear in the you had your breakfast and you threw your gear in the car and you went off to the match and you mightn't have had something to eat for four hours you know whereas they're eating two hours before now and you wouldn't be thinking about having a a pint of water or a liter of water when sipping a liter of water on your way down you know it was just alien to us the whole thing has changed you know but uh, and again as i said the physical the whole physical um, think it was so physical then, you know, because the pitch was so tight. But that was a great, a great, great day. I remember that semi-final, yeah. Nolan Park then, another year. Um, I think it was the year that Angela got married and um, we played Cork in the semi-final and Lyndon Lee, we were winning and Lyndon Lee undid us, I think, with two goals in the last minute and um, broke our hearts and we went on holidays. Angela and myself had holidays booked, so I don't know, we were in the Grand Canary or someplace and trying to enjoy our two weeks holidays, and after being beaten in the semi-final, i tell you, we weren't in any humour, and who do we see walking up the beach on the full back for Cork? <laughs> you know, there was no getting away from Um But going back to the 95 All-Ireland as well, the way we lost that because we were in control of it and, you know, winning right up to the final whistle and you get a goal like that at the, in the last minute or two, so sure there's no coming back for it, you know.
1: Now, after hearing all these amazing stories from Man's Past, I wanted to have a chat about what the future holds for Camogie. So, again, I spoke to Paul Roos from UCD to see what he thinks the future holds for the game.
3: So, the question about the future of Camogie is the question that faces every sports organization on every day. It faces the administrators that run it at every level and it faces those who play the game. What is our vision? How do we see the association working? What do we want it to be? And as I understand it, the vision of the association, the Camogie Association, and I say this as someone with a daughter who plays Komogi and I've been at a lot of Camogie matches over the last number of years. The question for Camogie stands or falls around the issue of participation can it get itself into more schools even than it's in now can it build on the numbers who are playing the game now is it in a position to create competition structures that allow for people to stay in the game there's a great spread in the number of girls who are playing camogie through the go games at under 12 level what is the structure in place there to keep those girls playing the game as they move into their late teams? Like, it strikes me as absolutely remarkable that there isn't a properly run minor competition within Dublin, for example, that girls who are finished playing under 16 ordinarily have to go straight up and play adult camogie. And that seems to me to be fine for the strong girls, but girls, is not fine for those who struggle to find their way in the game. And I would really question whether there is sufficient thought has gone in gone into that number one number two there is no denying the success of ladies Gaelic football which shouldn't be called ladies Gaelic football it should be called women's Gaelic football but anyway Um, there's no denying its success there is no denying and it's a fantastic thing to see it is an absolutely fantastic thing to see it is a brilliant game and properly played, and again I say that as someone who trains an under-16 girls Gaelic football team. And the marketing of ladies Gaelic football, so-called, is outstanding. Its competition structure is absolutely brilliant. And in its development over, a, over the course of a number of years, it gained a jump on Camogie and the challenge for camogie is, and I do think has make great strides in responding to that, but there are aspects of camogie which I find infuriating. The persistence for example in using the skirt instead of shorts, apart from anything else, whatever about the aesthetic of it, the manner in which it lumps additional costs on parents is absurd. And. I think unless, until Camogie addresses those things that are holding it back, it will be stuck. And those of us who wish for Kamogi to prosper more will be disappointed.
0: And ready. The game really picking up a notch or two in tempo in the last couple of minutes. Still eight points to four. Kilkenny the leaders. And down shot blocked down here. Under pressure, however, once again from Christine Harding, fully committed.
1: And now back to Anne for the final few words. And there was still one really important question that I wanted to ask. What was her overall experience of an All-Ireland final day?
2: We were in the old dressing rooms then, of course, under the under the Hogan stand. And uh, it was small enough, you know, and you'd have you could have 10 people with you traveling and they'd be asked to stay outside until everyone was ready and um, you'd have to have, you know, you'd be getting a rub on the legs, maybe in the shower, set up the the table in the shower but when Tom then start would start to speak, you know, he'd be busting the hurl off, of off of the bed or the floor or whatever and you know, you'd just be jumping out of your skin couldn't wait to get out the door, you know, and he'd be holding you back and just telling you win the first ball, win the first ball, win the first ball, keep your eye and his one thing he always said, take your pints, the goals would look after themselves. Don't be a hero, I don't want anyone to be a hero, just throw the ball over the bar, if a goal opportunity arrived, take it. But you know you could, and you wouldn't have everyone, you know Tom really was the person that speak the captain if they wanted to say something would probably have said that on the Friday night but Tom did most of the talking and uh, and that Uh, but of course when you got into the dressing room then again it was you know the crowds that came in with you and then you'd have the guys locking up Croke Park trying to get you out of the shower they were trying to go home and you know you wanted to stay there and linger on as long as you could or walk around Croke Park but um, you know i you know they were just so special days getting back onto the bus then after the, the match and going over to Quinns or going over to um, the pubs and meeting the the, the people from the village you know we'd know that um, I think it was Whites I'm not really sure have I the name wrong but there was Quinns and there was another pub down the road from it and the Balleragate bus always went to I think it was Whites and we'd go in there and we'd meet them after and you'd be told back on the bus after an hour because we had to go, go back for the dinner or the banquet They were great days, absolutely. To get into the pub and have the chat and meet, you know, who was at the match uh, and go through the whole thing and not wanting to leave the pub because, you know, you were leaving your friends or the people that's from your parish, you know, you just wanted to stay with them. But, um, uh, you know, coming home on the Monday night, you know, those those were the reasons I think really why we we wanted to stay winning, you know, because it was, and it brought such enjoyment to the whole parish, to your parish, whether it was for us, Baliragat, obviously, for Biddy, she was down from Tollerher. You know, bringing all those parishes together and the crowds that came to the Camogie matches, you know, we loved it. Loved it and loved winning for them, to be honest, as much as we did like winning for ourselves.
0: Dynasty, the greatest ladies' teams of all time was produced by Jonathan Farrelly and was supported by a grant from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland as part of the Sound and Vision scheme.